Okay, good morning, church. Uh, today we're reading 2 Peter chapter 2. If you're in your pew Bibles, that's page 984. I'll give you a second to get there. <laughs> but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. But for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings for, when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to crowds in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who lived the wages, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice those who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves to depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than to have it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of, the pro of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a saw that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for reading that. Uh, so we continue our study in 2 Peter today. 2 Peter, as we go through chapter 2, as you can tell, it uh, is a heavy passage as it continues on here. Now, <clears throat> I've played with Lego. Yeah, I know, I'm talking about Lego. Uh, I've played with Lego since I was uh, a little boy. Um, my parents, every Christmas, would get um, my older brother and me, you know, one or two sets. And uh, 
you know, that was considered our big gift if you, if you did that at your home. And uh, my brother would always get the bigger sets because he was the older kid, uh, not holding any grudges or anything. But uh, so I played with Lego for, for most of my life. Then I started to have kids. And uh, as I started having kids, I got back into Lego. And uh, in order to acquire large amounts of Lego at once, because it's pretty expensive, I started buying Lego in bulk. Um, online, like from Craigslist or Kijiji or things like that. And I would go on, and somebody would post an ad, you know, a parent selling their kid's stuff. They've moved out, or they want them to move out, so they're selling their Lego collection. And, uh, and they're posting it there online, and I would look. And you have to be pretty discerning, though, because you only usually get a couple of pictures, you know, of a Tupperware bucket. I was going for the big ones, okay? And, uh, you know, you'd get a few pictures. Sometimes they would dump stuff out, and they would just write bulk Lego, and you'd go, okay, bulk Lego, no problem. But you have to be discerning. And, you know, you would kind of zoom in, because though they say it's Lego, not all Lego is the same, right? There's a lot of things out there that are just building blocks. Now, okay, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a Lego snob, and I am, and uh, I like my collection to be pure, Okay, I don't like mega blocks. I don't like any other building type. And so as you look in, they might call it Lego, but you really have to see, is it really Lego? Because as you um, play with it, as you use it, you can tell a difference. And so if I decided that it was a good lot, I'd bring it home, I'd dump it out, and the first thing I would do was sort it all. And I would sort out the uh, blocks that weren't Lego. And, uh, you know, I know that sounds uh, bad, but I wanted my collection to be pure. And as you looked at it, you could tell just by the color, you could tell by the texture, you could tell by how it snapped together, you could tell by the shapes that it wasn't Lego, okay? And so I would, uh, that's how I would get my stuff and make it all together. Now, as we jump into our, our study today in 2 Peter chapter 2, it's interesting that as Peter is writing this, there's no direct exhortations or commands. There's no direct exhortations or commands in this passage. What Peter is going to do is Peter is going to describe for us false teachers. He's going to describe for us their evil ways at lengths. And what he's doing is he's holding up this kind of wanted poster, this, you know, here is the wanted poster of a false teacher, and this is what makes them, you know. And it makes them out to be hideous, because they are. Makes them out to be this evil-looking character. And it says, look, this is what a false teacher looks like. It looks like they're true. They've got hints of truth in it. But the longer you know and the path that it goes down, it's not authentic teaching. And ultimately, it leads to destruction. It looks the same from the outside, but it's not the same. And the end result is spiritual destruction. So be careful. Now, if you were here for the last three uh, Sundays, Pastor Steve uh, was in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, Peter has already laid out for us all the reasons why we can already trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. How we've already been given everything that we need to live a life of godliness because it was a gift from God. We've already seen that we can receive salvation and that is received through knowing Jesus and that we are called to grow and be like him. We've seen in the first chapter that the the information that was given to these Christians is reliable. The information that we have in the Bible right now 
is reliable and believable, okay? So if you missed any of those sermons, go back. If you don't know if the scripture that we have today is reliable and believable for us, not just for back then, but for us today, go back and listen to last week's sermon. And Pastor Steve really lays that out because the text lays it out because there needs to be certainty about the things that we believe. Because if we don't have certainty in the text and what we believe, it is greatly going to impact our lives. And so today our big idea, if you have uh, notes um, today, sermon notes, uh, our big idea for the, the sermon today as we're going through is this. That false teaching and godly living flourishes around us, right? False teaching and godless living flourishes around us. So hold on to God's word and the certainty that Jesus' return will bring rescue for the godly and judgment for the rest. Okay? So false teaching and godless living flourishes around us. So hold on to God's word and the certainty that Jesus' return will bring rescue for the godly and judgment for the rest. As we see this, that one passage, that one phrase in there, um, that Jesus' return is certain. This is important because if you live like today is the only day, that's greatly going to change how you live, right? If I gave you a certain amount of money or a certain por portion of food, and you said, sweet, you gave me two large pizzas. That's one meal. Um, I'm going to eat all that, right? But if you say this is the only food that you have for two weeks, I'm not going to eat it quite the same. I'm going to live a little bit differently. As we talk about false teaching and godless living in our world today and in the world here, we need to realize that Jesus is coming back, and that greatly changes things. All right, as we continue on, let's look at this portrait here uh, this wanted poster that Peter is laying out for us. So in verse 1 it says, and uh, the first part of this verse 1 is tying back into chapter 1. Or sorry, the first verse here of chapter 2 is tying back into chapter 1. And it says, but there will also be false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now Peter sometimes interchangeably uses uh, tenses and talks about things in the future tense when they are already actually happening in the present tense. And so Peter is saying that there is going to be false teachers among you. Just like there was false prophets back in the day in the Old Testament, there is going to be false teachers among you. That is true now, 2,000 years later. There are false teachers among us. In the Old Testament, false teaching was taken so seriously that there was actually commands that if you were teaching falsely, you were to be killed. You were to be taken out and killed because they realized and God realized and was sharing to them that the path of false teaching leads to spiritual destruction and leads to ultimate separation with God. Now, in our day and age, False teaching abounds everywhere, right? That's why the first part of our big idea is that false teaching and godly living flourishes around us. It does. It's growing like a beautiful forest, if you can call false teaching and godless living beautiful. It is flourishing. It is thriving. The reminder that Peter is giving here is, don't give in to that. And the reminder for us today is, just because it looks like godless living is great and it's flourishing and there's no judgment and that it's perfect and that it's fine and you can believe whatever you want and live however you want, this passage is going to remind us 
that a judgment is coming. So take heed that God knows that you love him and take heed that he is going to bring justice into our world, that he is also going to bring judgment and justice. And so as we look at this picture here, there are false teachers, it says, among you. Um, As we carry on in verse 1, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Now, what we see here is that these false teachers aren't coming from the outside. They're already in. So they actually have been considered believers. Or, let me put it this way, I'm not saying they are believers, but they were among the group of Christians, and being gracious, the people among them assumed that these people were believers because they were there, they showed up every week, they talked like they were believers, they looked like they were believers, but they're sneaky. And they start to introduce secretly Doctrine that is destructive, okay? And so it looks like they're there and they're among them, but they start to deny, it says, the Lord who bought them. So people thought that they called Jesus their Lord and Savior, that Jesus had paid the price for their sins. That's the word, that's the idea there of denying that the Lord had bought them. They thought they did, but that wasn't the case. And we'll see this played out a little bit more. And so they're introducing destructive heresies, okay? So these false teachers are teaching false things. Now, if I come up here and I teach something that's not correct, um, you know, Sean or Steve are going to talk to me after, or hopefully some of you would be discerning enough to talk to me after. Now, if I teach something that's false once and you correct me, that's fine, right? I'm going to change that. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. That was a slip of the tongue. I didn't mean that you could outsin God or something like that. Um, the... Uh, you know, if we introduce, if I accidentally teach something, that's one thing. But false teachers are people that are intentionally, consciously, and willingly embracing teaching that undermines the gospel. Now, it says they're introducing heresies, okay? That would be the far end of it. It doesn't always start with a heresy because these people, false teachers, they are, um, they secretly do this. They're conniving, they're tricky, you know, and so a heresy, or somebody who is a heretic, is somebody that is teaching something that really undermines the gospel. We're not talking about secondary issues here, okay, so we don't just, anybody who uh, thinks just a little bit different than me, I'm not going to label them a heretic. That's not helpful, right? Church denominations are kind of separated on some secondary issues where you can live more at peace with each other. But there are foundational issues that are really important, that are a matter of spiritual life or spiritual death and separation from God. That's the, the undercurrent of heresy, that they are things that undermine the gospel. So things that would be like denying the Trinity, denying the deity of Christ, denying that Jesus lived a sinful life, that he died on the cross as a substitutionary death for you and for me. He paid the price for our sins that was due for us. Denying that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Denying the gospel, okay? These are the foundational things of heresy. So these teachers, they don't start there though, right? That's not a, that's not a good introduction. You're, gonna be able to, you're not gonna be able to trick anybody. They do this secretly, connivingly, and it says they do all these things, even denying the Lord. 
And so, you know, when you see this, when you see this sometimes in a church or in other people, what happens is we think, how come they continue to thrive? What's going on here? But we're reminded, and Peter is reminding them, that they are bringing swift destruction on themselves. That's not meaning that God's going to come down and right away deal with them. It means that when it comes, it's going to be swift. That they're not escaping God's judgment because they are teaching something that is wrong. Now, as we carry on, it says in the beginning of verse 2, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So false teachers don't just, you know, teach these false things and it's all safe and good. The scripture reminds us here that many people will follow them. Many people will follow them. Why are they following them? Um, it says they follow their depraved conduct. The word depraved there in the Bible and in, in this context is about sensuality, sexual perversity, lust of the flesh. It's about living and enjoying an ungodly life. So false teachers aren't living a morally upright life. They're not living a life to the standards of what God would have us to live. They're not growing in love and grace and all of those things that we saw in chapter 1. It says that they are living in a depraved way, that they're changing their, their beliefs based on how they're living, and they're living in this way, and many people are following. So here's the thing. Some of us here, as we think about, oh, I'm not following any false teaching. That's not me. That's definitely not me. I don't do that. Um, one commentator says there's always this connection between false doctrine or false belief and impure living, okay? So there's a, a connection there. So let's see this. It says, the commentator says, sometimes it's difficult to figure out which came first, the chicken or the egg, uh, but in, invariably, they're intertwined. False doctrine leads to ungodly living, but the reverse is also true, that ungodly living leads to false doctrine. If me or you, if I'm involved in living in a way that doesn't honor God, I have one of two choices. God's going to try to convince me that it's something different, that I'm supposed to change, I'm going to feel this guilt, and so I can either change, or I need to change my belief. And that's what these false teachers are doing, that they start to change what they believe based on how they're living. And they start to say, we can just live however we want. We can live in this depraved conduct. It's fine. And the underlying reason for that, of why they give, and why in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it talks about um, waiting for Jesus to return, is they don't think that Jesus is going to return. So they don't think there's any judgment coming. Anybody here ever sped before? Yeah? Okay, I've sped, sped in my car hundreds of times. I have yet to be caught. Okay? Um, that's not me gloating. I shouldn't, keep, I shouldn't keep speeding, right? That's a posted limit. I should not do that. There are lots of things I have never been caught for in my life. Um, as a child, you know, if I shoplifted before, um, you know, stole from my parents, there are lots of things that I have done that I never got caught for. And our problem is that we think that we can keep doing them just because we didn't get caught. My kids say the same thing right now, right? As I try to raise my children in the Lord, they think that it's only bad if they get caught. And so we try to teach our children that that's not how it is. It's not because you got caught. God sees everything, right? We are to live in a way that honors God based on the truth that he has told us, 
Not based on whether we get caught or not. Why? Because one day God is going to return. Jesus is going to return. If we think this world is all there is, we're going to live very different lives. We're going to try to seize the day, do whatever we want, because we don't think that there's any consequences, or we haven't experienced them yet. Second Peter reminds us that this, the destruction is swift, and they're bringing it on themselves. This is going to be repeated many times, because we can think, no, no, everything's going to be fine. There's not going to be any destruction. No, that destruction is going to come. This is the assurance for us. That as we live in this world, there are false teachers and godless living and it's flourishing around us. But we need to honor God with our lives. We need to live because he has bought us with a price. And we need to honor him with our lives. Growing in godliness. Working on that. Being assured of the things. Because he promises that he is going to return. His return is certain. As we look through um, these first uh, three verses, actually, I don't think I told you what the point is in the fill in the blanks there. It says this, uh, for the point after the big idea is, beware, false teachers leave a devastating path of spiritual destruction, which leads to eternal destruction. So beware, false teachers leave a devastating path of spiritual destruction, which leads to eternal destruction. So as we continue on here, uh, looking back at verse 2, it says, Many will follow their depraved conduct. (sighs) Now, when we talk about many, this isn't just a few. And I want to think about us today, following false teachers, living in ungodly ways. A path. When you talk about following, you talk about going down a path. That might start with a click of a button, interested in somebody's teaching, And you are the one that is actually pursuing it because something tickles your ears. And the reminder here is stop going down a path of of life and of belief that you know isn't right. Stop going down it because the further you get down that path of thinking that this is right, that maybe Jesus isn't the only way. Maybe he isn't really coming back. Maybe this isn't all there is. Then... We are in a destructive way. But it says that many will follow. That means we choose to follow. We see it and we choose to follow. And it says that they will, uh, they follow the depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Here's the thing about false teachers. False teachers live a bad way. They teach bad things and people follow them. And it brings the gospel into disrepute. It says, it brings the way of truth into disrepute. You know, in Acts, it talks about this often. Jesus calls himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Followers of the way are followers of Jesus. And so, for us, as a church, if what I said was that these false teachers are among them, the false teachers are among them, and everybody thought, by grace, you know, graciously, yep, you seem like one of us. And so, not just inside, but that means everybody outside of the church, thought that they were inside the church, but they're living in a way that is sinful. And see, this is where the church comes in, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to come alongside one another and say, hey, did you know that your living isn't living up to what God says here? I'm concerned. You know, we come alongside each other. We encourage each other to remember that Jesus is going to return. We come alongside of each other, reminding each other of the truth of Scripture that we need to carry on. And we do that for that person's um, 
own eternal salvation, right? That's, one, that's the key, that we come alongside them because we care that they are living, or it seems like they're living in a way that, that destruction is going to come on them, eternal destruction. But also, they're living in a way because people think that they're numbered with Jesus and his followers, and people are going, wait a second, you're living that way? I don't think I want to be a Christian. I don't think I want to follow Jesus. Now, in this day and age, we know that, that Peter eventually became a martyr and died. Why would I want to die for that? That doesn't look like a good way to live. And so we need to be careful to live in a way also and to care enough for each other that we don't put the way of the gospel into disrepute. Now, as this continues on in uh, verse 3, um, it says that the greed of these false teachers, that it's in their greed these false teachers exploit you. Okay, They f- exploit you with fabricated stories. Last week in chapter 1, that also came up. Uh, it came up talking about uh, false stories or uh, cleverly devised stories. And so Peter is talking here that we do not come to you. They come to you with fabricated stories. That the gospel isn't a finely made up tale. It's reliable. But they come with fabricated stories of why you need to give them money. Why you're allowed to live a life of sexual freedom. Why you're allowed to live just this life that doesn't honor God. They'll make up these stories because they're greedy, because they care only about temporary things. So we're supposed to be the opposite of that, not just caring about temporary things, but fixing our eyes on heaven, fixing our eyes on the kingdom that is to come, fixing our eyes and remembering that Jesus is going to return. And so they're there, and they just are greedy. They don't care about your good They don't care about your godliness. They don't care about you growing to be Christ-like. They don't care about others knowing Jesus. They care about your goods, and that's it, because they want your stuff. They want your money so they can enjoy life now. They want to enjoy it to the best of their ability. And as it continues, we are reminded, and Peter is reminding the hearers of the day and for us, that their condemnation has long been hanging over their head. That they're not, though they look like they were among followers, though they looked like they had received life through Jesus, spiritual life, and would be counted as one of his, scripture tells us that their condemnation is still hanging over their head. Their judgment is still there. It's coming. It's hanging over their head. They're not going to escape, okay? And not only that, that their destruction is not sleeping. It's awake. It's there. Then why isn't it coming, we might say, right? We live in a world where godly, godlessness flourishes. Where false teaching all the time, just go on the internet, don't really go on the internet, there's too much false teaching on there. To try. But lots of false teaching, and it flourishes, and we think, why? And we think, God, why won't you come and just judge this now? This is difficult. Well, we're gonna answer that as we look at the next uh, number of verses. How do we live in a world that is godless, that is flourishing, okay? So let's, we're gonna turn there. But before we do that, anybody here like to bake? Yeah, I know there's a few. Anybody here like to eat baked goods? Oh, a few more hands. There you go. That's not a good uh, balance, but okay. Uh, If you've ever baked or enjoyed some baked goods, particularly maybe it's uh, you were just throwing the recipe together from memory and you were busy and you had kids there, or maybe it was a new recipe or you're doing it from memory from something that you saw somebody else cook, and you go through and you make the whole recipe, and as you're making it, it smells delicious, looks pretty good, comes out of the oven, and you go and you go to eat it, and you're like, 
we forgot the sugar. Or we forgot something else, right? That's, that's a little bit like false teachers as we go through. It's not just what's in there, it's also what's not in there, right? So as we discern false teaching, because remember, they're crafty, they're sneaky, it's not just about what it, they are saying, it's also what they're not saying. They're not talking about Jesus. They're not talking about sacrifice. They're not talking about life that is to come. And so we need to be discerning as we seek and see false teachers. Now, as we move on, um, I do want to note we are not doing the whole chapter two. So don't, don't be worried. Um, we are only doing the first ten verses. Steve is going to pick up the rest after that um, next week. We're not doing a back-to-back. Um, and so as we carry on, the next part of these verses in verses four to ten, as we look at them, I want us to remember that we need to take courage to stand firm in the truth of the gospel in the midst of a depraved world because God will rescue the godly and he will punish the ungodly. So our main point there in this this last part is that take courage and stand firm on the truth of the gospel in the midst of a depraved world because God will rescue the godly and he will punish the ungodly. Now, As we look at a quick outline here, verse 4 says, For if God did not, so this is an if-then statement, okay? An if-then statement is, if this is all true, then this is true, okay? It's a very long if-then statement. Starts in verse 9, goes all the way down to uh, verse, sorry, starts in verse 4, goes all the way down to verse 9. So it's an if, and then Peter's going to give us a bunch of examples. Because we want to know, how do we live in this world with false teachers, where it's flourishing, where it looks like there's no judgment. How do we do this? And so what we're going to see in this passage, the quick outline, is that if God didn't spare angels but gave them judgment when they sinned, if God didn't spare the ancient world in the flood when the world was sinning and he brought the flood, but he saved Noah, so he didn't spare angels, didn't spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, if he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah in their sinful ways, but saved Lot, then know that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly and to keep the ungodly under punishment for the day of judgment. That's the whole verses 4 to 10. We're going to go into it a little bit, but that's the outline. That if God in these three very um, big examples in the Old Testament, if he knew how to bring Um, judgment and punishment and didn't withhold it, but he saved the righteous, the same is going to be true for us. So take heart. Hold on to the gospel. God is returning and judgment is coming even though it doesn't look like it. Okay? And so as we jump in or continue to uh, jump into this passage here, it says, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, that means he didn't just overlook their sin, Uh, but sent them to hell, putting them in the chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Now, this passage here is looking at, we won't get into it, we don't have enough time. Genesis chapter 6, it's not likely looking at the fall of uh, Satan, the original fall, and one-third of the um, angels uh, being sent out of heaven. It's likely um, Genesis 6, where, you know, the the Nephilim, uh, the angels are on the earth, and they sleep with, humans. I'm not exactly sure how that all happens, um, but that's kind of the sin, but they were punished for that. 
in Genesis chapter 6. And so that's likely what's being referred to here in this passage. The main part is what we see is this connection, this depraved conduct, this depraved living of the angels that God doesn't spare them, even though they're angels, even though they're higher than, than, than us in many ways, that God loved them. But he didn't spare them. Verse 5, and if he didn't spare, the same kind of word as the angels, the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but protected Noah. So if you remember Noah, right? He's there, God comes to him, and he tells him to build an ark. Build this boat, because judgment is coming. And so for 100, 120 years, he builds this ark for 120 years. In the midst of a world where God is trying to save he, God is doing this to save the righteous, and he's going to bring judgment on the ungodly. Now, if you think God is really quick to judge, 120 years from the time it's being built until it's floating, right? 120 years, thereabouts, and all the time before that, they were living in sin. God is not quick to bring judgment because he is waiting so that nobody would perish, but he does bring judgment, but he wants people to repent. And so Noah is there. 120 years building his ark. And as people came around, I'm sure it became kind of this thing where people maybe even stopped by. Hey, look, there's the crazy guy building a boat far from any body of water. How is he ever going to get that in? And I'm sure, because it tells us here, that Noah, a preacher of righteousness, during that time, Noah is there. He is preaching righteousness. He is preaching to come to God, to turn from your evil ways, 120 years he preaches this message. Who here came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior in the last 120 years? Yeah, phew. He had nobody, it seems, nobody. Who here became a, a believer in the last five years? Who, who here would say that they came to know Jesus in the last five years of their lives? Okay, yeah, good. A number of you, great. Now, as God did that, as as. He's there, he's preaching righteousness, nobody. It's just the eight of them, seven and himself. But God brought judgment. He saved all of the righteous. He was able to pick that out. He was able to figure that out. Nothing got by him. He was able to discern that. And scripture tells us that, um, that the floods came and he saved them, right? And so that's one of the stories that, wow, the, the world is crazy. It looks like you know, godless living is literally flourishing around them. False teaching, talking about these things. They don't think there's a God, and then it happens. But God is able to save them. God is able to save us. God is able to remind us of this. And then it carries on in verse uh, 6. And he says, talking about God, and he condemns the city of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to the ashes. Well, we know that Sodom and Gomorrah was just this city that lived godless lives, right? What were they depraved conduct. They were living in the lust of the flesh. The whole cities, both cities. It was a terrible, terrible place. This is after the flood. Sin is re-entered, obviously. Sin was always there. And they are living however they want. And it looks terrible. And if you remember the story, Abraham goes to God and he says, you know, in these, both these places, if there is just 50 people, will you spare it? Yeah, okay. How about 45? How about 40? How about 20? How about 10? And you know, it seems like Abraham is bartering a little bit with God, like, oh God, don't just destroy everybody all at once, including the, uh, the righteous. God never had in mind 
to destroy the righteous. He knows who are his. He sorts through. He knows exactly who they are. He knows exactly who you are if you are walking with him, if you have received life. Why? Because he sent his son Jesus to die for you. That you have been a recipient of Jesus' death on the cross. That he has been your substitute. God knows exactly who you are if you have put your faith, hope, and trust in him. And he knows if you haven't. Because you are living, as this says, with condemnation hanging over you. That destruction is coming one day. And so, in this example, God does save Lot and uh, his two um, children, his two daughters. The sons-in-law who aren't there yet, they end up staying behind and uh, his wife turns around, becomes a pillar of salt. And so God is able to discern these things. It's interesting that Lot, it says in verse 7, uh, he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. Um, verse 8, for the righteous for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Now, if you remember Lot, um, he had some actions that would not be considered great. He offered his virgin daughters to all of the crazy townspeople that wanted to have their way with these angels that came. You can read it in Genesis. And uh, he, he, he sinned. He did things that were wrong. Me and you are going to sin, right? We are going to not live up to what God's standards are. Last week, chapter one, what did we hear? We heard about how we are making effort to grow in godliness, right? Make every effort to add, to grow. The work of God has already been done in our lives, but we wanna grow to be like Jesus. Now, the reason why Lot was rescued was because his faith and hope was in God. He still sinned, yes, he did that. But scripture tells us here, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he was a righteous man and that he was literally tormented in his soul when he saw how they were all living. When I hear that and read that, it makes me think of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the second part of the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's the first part, right? That's how we come into a relationship with Jesus. We realize that our spirit is broken, that we are poor in spirit, that we don't have any spiritual fuel, uh, spiritual capacity to be able to get into heaven. We are not holy. We are sinners. So we are spiritually broken. We come to Jesus and we say, I need you. I need your substitutionary death on the cross for me. The second part of the Sermon on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount there is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And the idea there is not blessed are those who are just crying. It's blessed are those who mourn for the world around them, that they see the world that is broken, that they mourn for the sin, that they mourn that godless living flourishes, that they mourn for those who don't know God. And so here is Lot, and he's mourning for that. This reminds us of us, that though we live in this world right now, and we look around, and it's flourishing, sin is flourishing, teaching opposed to God is flourishing, we need to mourn for it and pray for it. We actually don't want God to come and bring his judgment right now. If God would have brought his judgment in this very moment, or let's say five years ago, anybody who rose, raised their hand to say, I've become a Christian in the last five years wouldn't be counted as one. But God knows who are his, and he will return at one point. And we're going to see later on in 2 Peter that, that God is not slow in keeping his promise. God's not slow in keeping his promise. I want to remind us that God is going to return one day. 
Just because he hasn't yet doesn't mean he won't. And it's coming. But he's not slow in keeping his promise. He is waiting so that none should perish. He is waiting for those who are his to come to him. How should that motivate us to live in this world filled with false teaching? That godless living is flourishing? We are called to live as representatives of Jesus. To live as followers of the way. To not be distressed in a sense that, oh, this is terrible, I'm not going to live in this world anymore. But to realize God has us exactly where he wants us. Just before Jesus left, um, and he's, when Jesus was on earth, he prays for his disciples in John 17. John 17, verse 13 to 19. Um, I'll jump down to verse 15. This is what Jesus says as he's praying. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus prayed for his disciples in a world that godlessness flourished. He didn't say, his prayer wasn't, all right, I'm going to rescue the godly right now and put them in a good place. He says, I'm actually sending you into this godless world, just like um, Noah was there, just like Lot was there, why? To preach the message of Jesus, to bring the good news, to be my representative. I've given you everything that you need, we saw in chapter 1, to live a life of godliness, to resist sin, but you are here, God tells us, as his representatives. We are here as his representatives to bring the truth, to bring the gospel, so that people will know it, so that people will follow it, so they will come from spiritual death to spiritual life. So condemnation will not be hanging over their head. This is our hope. This is what we're called to do as believers, to remember this. And so as we think about the world that we're in right now, um, as we think about where we are, we can have a tendency to follow this false teaching. We can be sucked into this. We need to be on our guard. We need to remember that Christ is going to return. We also need to remember that God has given us, if we look at the world and we think that sin is flourishing, that God has given us um, resources. He's given us his spirit, but he's also given us a local church, right? And a local church, wherever you are, find a local church that loves Jesus. A local church is called to be this place of, um, of spiritual nourishment, right? This place where outside of these walls or outside the gathering, it doesn't have to be in this building, but outside of those who don't live for God, in here, righteousness should be flourishing. In here, we get to every Sunday rehearse for heaven, right? Every Sunday, we get to celebrate and sing and praise God as a rehearsal for what we're going to do for eternity, the church is given to you and me as a gift, not as an obligation, not as a chore. It is a gift in the midst of a godless world where godlessness flourishes, where false teaching flourishes. We get to come and center on God's word, on the truth that God will return, and that when he returns, he will bring rescue for you and for me. And we get to celebrate that every week. God has given us this as a gift.
So receive that gift from him. Come every Sunday expectant. Come ready to worship, to grow, because he's not taking us out of this world. He has us here to share the message of the gospel with the world around us so that they will know the truth, so that they will be able to live and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior.